Be seated. If you'll turn in your Bible with me to Mark chapter 1, we're going to read verses 9 through 20. This is kind of like the long landing from basic Christianity of Psalm 110 of how do you live out the gospel now in everyday life? And Mark's going to give us a pattern for that, to repent, to believe, and to follow is the gospel walk. And so let's read it. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. And if you're using a pew Bible, the blue ones underneath the chairs, it's page 836. Hear now God's word. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going out a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed to us, spoken to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray you would help us Well, open our eyes to see wondrous things in your gospel today. Uh, Holy Spirit, come teach us how to repent, uh, to make this a habit, to believe the gospel, and to faithfully follow our King, Jesus. And so use our time to make us to be fishers of men, those who are about the business of loving people as you have loved us. So may your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth in our lives, right here and right now, we pray by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word repent? Right, do you hear doom and gloom, turn, and, turn or burn type ideas? I don't know if this is posit- a positive or a negative image in your head, right? Do you have pictures of, of people picketing some kind of behavior they're angry with and upset with? And the signs say, just knock it off, God hates you, turn or burn. Sometimes literally, that's what it says. Or do you have the more, I would say, more biblical picture uh, in mind of, of repentance, the command to repent being a process that leads to freedom, uh, that, that puts you back together again, that heals you, that makes you whole, that leads you to a place of joy and rest. I mean, one of the ancient psalms, a prayers of repentance is Psalm 32, and it begins with blessed, happy. 
and littered throughout the psalm at the beginning and the end is the result, joy. Joy and rest, freedom. Right? And so the reason I'm starting that way is because Martin Luther, when he read what we just read, the, the old German pastor, he said, you know, when Jesus said repent, he didn't mean just a one-time deal. He meant that all of life would be one of repentance. And if you have that negative image, that you're, gonna, you're not going to hear what Jesus is saying. Right? What, what Luther was after, what Jesus is teaching, is that the way you change, that the source of spiritual power, uh, the way you make progress in the Christian life, the way you experience more of God's changing you, uh, the more, more of God's presence, the way you learn to be made whole again, the way you learn to well, live out what Pastor Jim preached last week on loving one another is through regular, daily, ongoing, this process that we call repentance. All right, so if you look at verse 15 of, of Mark here in chapter 1, right, this is Jesus' first command. Repent. And what, what I want to do in the next couple weeks here is, is this is what I'm going to call the gospel walk, just a, a pattern that needs to be in the life of the Christian that is, that is modeled by the, the apostles of the three steps, repent, believe, rise up and follow. Right? Repent, believe, follow. Repent, believe, follow. If, if you want to take follow as a more uh, battle imagery, right? if you want a good manly image, it's repent, believe, fight. But regardless, you're, you're, you're following Christ. And so today we're going to look at repentance. And then next week we'll talk about believing in the gospel. And then the last week on following Jesus, what that looks like, uh, becoming like him. All right, so verse, verse 15, it says, Repent, believe in the gospel, because the time is now. God, the time is fulfilled. It's time. The time that God had planned before the foundation of the world to rescue this runaway planet of runaway people, heaven has come down to earth in Jesus. And you respond, how do you get ready for God to, to work in your life? Through repent, repentance, belief, and following. All right? And so, this is the ordinary, regular Christian life. <laughs> and I'm hoping that I will, as we nail down what repentance is, you'll, you'll learn to, with me, right? I'm learning to do this as well to be intentional, to make this a regular pattern in your life. Because this is what it's supposed to be, the ordinary Christian life where you're not ashamed to repent, to own the ugly, to confess your sins, to say out loud, yes, my stuff stinks too. Uh, and that you've been set free to do that because you believe that when you come out of hiding, God isn't there with a big stick ready to whack you. He's there to hug you and embrace you with the grace of the gospel in Jesus. And that love starts the process all over again. Maybe it's a little more free to be myself in the presence of my God. Uh, and I want to be like the one who hugged me, Jesus. So if you want to know, know how to become a Christian, if you want to know what God is like, it's the same process. You, you repent, you believe the gospel, you follow Jesus. If you want to become a better Christian, it's a better Christian. Right? The way is not up, it's down. It's through repenting, believing, and following. So, let's look at these three things. We're going to look at what is repentance. Uh, uh, we're going to look at counterfeit, you know, fakes. Uh, it's really easy to fake it. And then we're going to look at believing the gospel, and then we'll, we'll end. So, point one, 
Before we talk about the command, you got to look at the person. Because when somebody comes and says, you need to change, uh, your willingness to listen is based on how you see and interact with this person. Who is the one telling you to repent? And, and Mark tells you in rapid fire sequence of what Jesus has done and, and what he is like. If you look at verse 9, right? Jesus just shows up. He's baptized into the Jordan River, and, and you have this dramatic scene where the heavens are torn open. The whole Trinity is there. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, which is echoes of Genesis 1. A new creation is beginning. And God says, God the Father says, This is my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So the, here's the short version of why that's mind-blowing. <laughs> it's for the... Before John the Baptist was out in the Jordan River baptizing people, and they would come out to confess their sins, to ask for forgiveness. And that, that's really what it was for, is these people would say, yeah, if God's coming, I'm in trouble. There's something wrong with me in my heart. I'm not ready for God to show up and say, what have you done with all the good gifts I've given you? And so they went out to the water to be baptized to say things like, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And it's a familiar story where nobody's perfect. Right? There's something deeply wrong with everyone. We are much more familiar with that kind of baptism, that kind of confession, than what, what happens with Jesus. Right? My favorite expression outside of Scripture is from uh, Melville, from Moby Dick, where he says, May God have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head <laughs> and sadly need mending. So when Jesus... <laughs> Here's those words. You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You are, you are seeing a new creation. You're seeing God praise someone simply because they are good. Jesus has no need to confess any sin. All right, so if you know nothing about the Bible, Mark wants you to see Jesus as someone that God loves by virtue of his own goodness, not because of mercy. Jesus did not need mercy when he was baptized. Right. And so the one who commands you to repent is Jesus, God's beloved son, who's, who's announcing, Mark is showing you, get ready to see something completely different, <laughs> something new. Someone who's going to show you how to live a life that is more human than you, you are currently living. He's here to heal you. Right. And so Jesus has God's seal of approval. That's, that's, that's the purpose here. And immediately, after getting the seal of approval from God the Father, the Holy Spirit kicks Jesus out. He sends him out into the desert to be tested. And he's with the wild animals, and there are angels there. There's not much detail. Mark packs a lot of information in just a few words. And he's trying to get you to think about other Bible stories to help you understand what Jesus is doing. Right? When the Spirit kicks Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested, he's driven out. I'm not sure what your, your translation will say. He's literally thrown out by the Spirit. He's led. All right? I mean, so here, you're supposed to hear and say, wait a second, if God loves this guy, why is he sending him away? Why is he sending him out? Because right? it's the stubborn kid, the kid who won't listen, who stops listening to their parents and get kicked out, not the obedient one. Thanks. All right? So here you have Jesus, the beloved son, going out into the wilderness to be tested. Why? And one, you've got to remember Adam and Eve. The exact same word 
is used to describe what happens to Jesus that happened to Adam and Eve. Except Adam and Eve had it coming. Right? They deserved it. Adam and Eve failed the test of faith. They didn't believe that God was good and they chose to abandon his rules and say, we will do this on our own. We got this. I don't need God in my life to be good. So God cast them out uh, to literally throw them out. And so here you have Jesus, the good son, going out into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days to, to show you a completely different way of being human, that he's going to go into the wilderness to experience what Adam experienced, and he's also going into the wilderness to experience what Israel experienced, which was testing in the wilderness. Right? And if you remember Israel, what did they do in the, in the wilderness? Not, not much helpful. <laughs> right? At every, every opportunity when they were being tested to see, will they trust that God is good, that he is a father who will meet their needs every day? They chose complaining. They chose grumbling. As the writer of the Hebrew says, they chose not to believe the good news that was preached to them. All right. So Numbers 11, for example, says, Remember the good life when we enjoyed rest in Egypt, when we ate bread to the full, when we had leeks and onions. Remember when we feasted in Egypt? Right? <laughs> they were slaves. They're not thinking clearly. They're telling themselves things that are just not true about God and themselves. And you get it, the same thing in Deuteronomy we were talking about in Sunday school. You know? Moses said to them, remember when you were in your tents in the desert and you told yourself, well, God hates me and he brought us out of the land of Egypt to kill me. He's clearly not, I, God, I can't trust you, God, because life stinks right now. You don't love me. So, see, they're telling this story, themselves this story that God is not good, that he hates me, that he doesn't care about me because if God was a good father, if he did, I wouldn't hurt right now. I don't know if he's going to keep his promise. I don't know if he's strong enough to keep me safe. You see, we are much more familiar with Adam and with Israel than we are with Jesus who just comes through the desert, who's tested. And Mark doesn't really tell us, but we know he passes every test. Right. So the one, and this is the point, the one who's going through the wilderness here is Jesus the human being who's in the wilderness, in the hot place, the hard place, the difficult place. And instead of living by unbelief, he's living by faith. He's, he's showing you a new way of being human. Right? Even while in the desert and I'm hungry, God, I know God is good. He will give me what I need. God does keep his promise. Jesus is not. It's, it's hard because we're, Mark just gives you a couple details. It's trying to get you to say, Jesus has been tempted in every way you have, and yet he's without sin. And we'll talk about the wild animals later, so hold that thought. So this is really good storytelling. It's telling you that the one who commands you to change the way you're, you, you're currently living, <laughs> to change your mind, that's what repent means, is Jesus, God's chosen king, who is also a human, who's come down to, to live a life of obedience for you. And he's going to walk familiar paths, paths of hardship, paths of testing. And he's going to pass every test to do what you could not do on your own strength. 
And I got to start here because if you don't see Jesus as your hero who obeyed for you, who went through the wilderness, who went through hardship first, perfectly, when it comes to repenting, believing, and following, you need to have a vision and say, I want to be like that when I grow up, <laughs> you know, when I mature. I want to be someone when life stinks, I don't just blast out at anyone near me. I don't want to be someone who says, loving you is like hugging a cactus. It's not fun. I want to be someone like Jesus, who when he's hanging on the cross, uh, who's still thinking of his mom and what she will do after she dies, after he dies. And he turns and looks at John the Apostle and says, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. <laughs> Even in death, he has an outward-facing view of other people. So, that's the one who's calling you to repent. What does repent mean? Well, part of it just means to change your mind, to, to see that you are not the center of the universe. Uh, God's kingdom is here, so now live differently. Change what you think about yourself and about God. I love the way Steve Brown puts it. He just says, you have to see yourself the way God sees you as a sinner and just agree with him and follow his plan for your life. You're, you're, you're owning up to what's true about God and yourself. Right. Or when you think weird, untrue thoughts about God, you're going to change your mind and say, well, that doesn't line up with what the scriptures say. Right? That's repentance. And now do that again and again and again. All right. So now, just take that picture. When Luther said, when Jesus said repent, he didn't mean do this once. He, he means this is going to be a lifetime process of where you're repenting, believing, and following, which means Monday morning and evening, it's a good time to repent. Uh, Tuesday, repent again. Your Wednesday hump day, right? Repent. <laughs> repent, believe the gospel Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And when you're in church on Sunday, it's going to have the same flavor, which is why we, we confess our sin every week together because you're not alone in saying, I need help following Jesus. Right? The ordinary Christian life is marked by repentance. I'm hoping you find this encouraging, even though it's, it's humbling. Right? If all life is repentance, it's definitely a downward, humbling walk. But if, if you're going to believe the gospel, you're trusting that God's going to raise you up again, and you're going to follow and say, okay, I want to aim at that direction. I'm aiming at Jesus. And so, now what does repentance look like? Let's nail this down. And one of the ways that I find helpful in trying to nail down what repentance looks like is, is looking at the, the fakes, at, at counterfeit repentances. Because most of us, when I, when I first heard repent as a kid, I think you can all remember, all I heard was do better, try harder, which is the old word, do penance. And repentance and penance are two completely different things. And yet, on the outside, looking in, they can look really similar. So you can have two people just torn up, weeping, broken, angry at the damage and destruction they have caused to them and to their household and to the, their loved ones. But one is looking at God, and one is just having a pity party, <laughs> looking at themselves. Right? So penance, that's what penance is. It's beating yourself up of saying, I should, have, I should have known better. Right. Repentance is not hating yourself. But we're much more familiar with that idea of penance where after you've blown it again, of saying, Rand, I really 
suck at being human. I don't know how you say that to yourself. But if you do that every day, that's not going to lead to joy and freedom. That's going to lead to despair and misery. That is not what Jesus is saying. Repentance should lead to joy, not despair. But it's not penance. It's not walking around all the time staring at your feet and saying, I'm just a worm. I despise me. We're always walking around saying, well, I didn't get it this last 365 times, but maybe I'll get it right the next time. (laughs) Penance is what we do when we get up the next day and say, I haven't gotten it yet, but I'll get it next time. I'm going to do this, God, I promise, I swear. I'm going to live up to your expectations. I can do this. Penance is what we do when we try to do enough good things to make myself feel good again, try and push those bad feelings away. That's what, the, that's what the hitman does when he goes to church on a Sunday and puts a big check in the plate. Right? He's trying to make the, the bad go away to cover it with, with the good. That's penance. That's not repentance. Penance is when we just stare at ourselves and our failures and our screw-ups and say, I will do better. I'm content to be your servant, God, because being a child, being a son... I don't even know if I want that. Because a servant, I can, I can control that. Right? If you think of the parable of the prodigal sons in Luke 15, you know the familiar story when the younger brother uh, comes up to his father and says, give me my inheritance now, which basically saying, Dad, God, I wish you were dead. I want to live life without you. All right? And the father graciously, surprisingly says, sure, here you go. And after running around, spending all his dad's goods, gifts recklessly on parties and prostitutes, he finds himself at rock bottom, eating with the pigs. And in the Jewish imagination, there was nothing more humiliating than spending time with these unclean animals, living like a pig, living like an animal. That's what sin does. Makes us more like animals. And then it says in verse 17 of Luke 15, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I'm starving here. So I will rise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your servants. And so you know what the younger brother's plan was? I'm going to do penance. I'm content to just be around my dad, to have a meal, whether we have a relationship or not. And so he walks home, right? And he has this plan, <laughs> and it's not, even a, it's not the, the perfect prayer for sure, but he's content with being a servant, being able to earn his dad's blessing, to focus on what he's able to do, because that's all we can imagine as human beings. Right? And what I find super encouraging about this parable is that even when he blurts out a, uh, a prayer of confession that is not right, so to speak, he finds his father has already run to meet him, has already run and embraced him, has already started weeping tears of joy on his son's neck, right? And that's what moves you to repent. (laughs) See, when repentance is how you respond to God drawing near like that. You're saying, you're right, I, I have not done this well. I have failed. I have sinned against heaven and against those around me. Father, I'm coming home. 
And it, what gets you, moves you to repent, what gives you the power to repent is when you feel the Father, God the Father's hug on your neck, when you feel the tears of joy on his cheeks, when you feel the warmth of the robe covering up your rags, wrapping you in the experience of saying, I'm not content with you being a servant, you are my son. Take the robe, take the ring, let's feast and celebrate for my son who was lost is now is found. And repentance is what you do is when you, when you walk into your father's house and he's not shaming you. He's killed the fatted calf and he's feasting with you. See, repentance flows out of that kind of experience with God. Do you, have you had that kind of experience, that kind of welcome from God where angels in heaven rejoice that you would come to your right mind and say, God, I need your help. I've hurt you and I've hurt others. Penance focuses on me. Repentance looks at the one I've hurt, the God who made me. I mean, which would you prefer, the exhaustion of penance or the freedom and the welcome that comes after repentance? Now, Steve Childers is a, a spiritual renewal professor, and he says, what we have to rediscover is that true repentance, biblical repentance, doesn't lead us to despair, it leads us to joy. Because the more you see the depth of your sin, the more you'll see the depth of God's grace, and the cross will become more deeply precious. It'll become electric to those who every day see the depth of their sin, because then you see how much bigger God's love is for you than you, than you ever realized in the moment. So if, if you're going to Obey Jesus' command to repent and start living out this walk. You're not going to grow in misery and self-hatred and despair. You're going to grow in honesty and freedom and joy because of the power <laughs> of God's welcome. Right? And what does that look like? Well, in Mark, here's the hard part. I mean, I had to go elsewhere to fill in some of the gaps, right? Mark, Jesus just says, repent because God has come in, in, in me. The king, the king is here. The kingdom is at hand. But Mark doesn't tell, he shows. And if you follow the journey of the disciples, they are repenting, whether they want to or not, because they haven't figured it out yet. That's, that's why I love Mark so much. The, the disciples are so human. They're constantly getting it wrong, and Jesus is patiently correcting them. Right? But they agreed to repent the first time, believe the gospel, and follow. It's a progressive picture, so we can, we can go this way. All right, because if you look at Mark chapter 2, if you'll turn the page with me, we don't have time to do the whole gospel, obviously. But maybe you're one of those people who are saying, I don't know if I really want to repent every day. This sounds difficult. I'm not that bad. I mean, I heard it this week. Yeah, so I'm good. <laughs> Someone asked me what I was going to preach on, repentance. Yeah, I'm good. Right? And so, first, if you look at Mark, uh, the chapter 2, the story of the paralytic, right? this is amazing. This is going to help you stop being in denial. Because if you're going to become a daily repenter, you've got to look at who you sinned against. And what Jesus does is butt himself in to every interaction you have ever had. Because right? if you consider the, the paralytic, this man either by birth or by accident can't, can't walk, he's carried by four men to meet Jesus, and they can't get in, and so they cut a hole in the roof, and they bring him down, 
right at Jesus' feet and fully expecting Jesus to touch him or do something dramatic so that their friend can walk again because the only thing they can think of that this man needs more than anything else in the world is to walk. Right? I mean, that's kind of what we prayed this morning. Of That is an important aspect. We want to be well. And Jesus looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees someone who needs to repent. Right? You know, most of us who would be in denial would say, Well, he's not that bad. He's just suffered. He's had a hard life. Denial would blame circumstances. And, but what Jesus is, is doing here is he's universalizing the human experience that everybody needs forgiveness, even those who suffer. Because what's the difference between someone who's walking and mad at God for their circumstances and those who are not walking and mad at God for their circumstances? The point is, Jesus says to this man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, who in the world can talk like that? I mean, I can't walk into your house in the middle of some kind of dramatic argument between you and your kids or you and your spouse and turn around and say, I forgive you for that hurtful thing you just said. I wasn't part of the conflict. So when Jesus says, I forgive you, everybody hears, whoa, whoa, whoa. Only God can forgive sin. And so what Jesus is doing is by saying, I have the authority to forgive sins, he's inserting himself into every bad thought, every cruel word, every harmful deed. He says, that wounded me. You have offended me, Jesus, the Son of Man. You can't start repenting till you know who you've hurt. And repentance uh, is looking at the one you've hurt and saying, I'm sorry. Right? So sin is the human tendency, says Francis Buffer, not just to lurch and stumble and screw up by accident. It's this active inclination to break stuff. Stuff being promises, people, relationships we care about, and our own well-being. We hurt ourselves. And so... If Jesus' command is to repent, he's saying, stop being in denial. You've offended me. You have to come to me for forgiveness. Own it. Maybe you're still in denial. Well, look at the tax collector. Levi, the next story in verse 13 and following. Tax collectors were people, they would say, yeah, those people stink. They really need to repent. <laughs> right? they, they were despicable people. They were traitors. They served the Romans. Uh, they collected more money than was necessary, and they, they employed uh, bullies, the, the Roman soldiers, to make sure they got, they got wealthy off the backs of the poor. And often they owned brothels. So their best friends were other tax collectors and, and prostitutes. Sinners, people we would say they're doing really, really bad things. Those are the ones who need to repent. Except those are the people Jesus is eating meals with. And when the people who only repent some of the time, the Pharisees see that, they say, why would he spend his time with those people? And Jesus' response in verse 17, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And what Jesus is doing in that phrase is declaring that the whole human race is unwell. Sick. And those who learn to repent daily have figured that out. Right? 
Because those who are in need of a physician, you go for help. Right? And that, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. Well, I was sick this year and, and spent a weekend in the hospital. And what I remember is when that thing that hurt, it just consumed all of me. It affected every part of me. My brain, my thoughts, my gut, my actions, right? Just existing hurt. Something was off. And what Jesus is saying by saying, I came to call sinners who are sick to repentance to make them well, to heal them. He's saying sin makes sinners, makes people unwell and so unwell that it affects their thinking. It affects your behavior. It affects your relationships. It affects everything. And the only ones who don't ask for help are those who don't think they're well. And that is a scary place to be when sin makes you sick and you're not even aware of it. Right. And so what, when Jesus says repent, he's trying to get you to avoid the, the misery of penance and, and the despair that would come. He's also trying to get you to not live in denial of saying there's something off, I need help. And to the... To the uh, to the extent that you see how much help you need, that's how often you're going to repent. Right. And what does that look like? Well, you're looking at the one you've hurt, and then you make a full and clear, specific confession. And, and this is how we're going to bring this to a close. Because in Mark 7, Jesus explains how sick we are. And in verse 20... He's talking about the human heart. Two current followers of Jesus. He says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, and for from within, out of the heart of man, come these evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come out of us. So he's, he's saying, look at what is on the inside. Your biggest problem is not out there. Your biggest need and problem is in here. Right. So daily repenters own their sickness in general. <laughs> I need to be made well. Something's off. And one of the things that Jesus is getting you to do is to own the specific sins, to make a full, clean confession to God and to others in the ways that you have harmed. Right. And so this is much more... Um, responsive and reactive when you're being specific. Right, where you see something finally and say, God, I, that, that's not right. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Right? But, but the point is, you have to own it. And Jesus won't let you blame anyone else. Because even if you're in a conflict and, and these words come out, that you say, well, I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for that person. <laughs> right? That's called blame shifting. Right? No, repenters learn to, to just own their stuff. See, so that, that too is in me, and it's ugly, and I'm sorry, and you got hurt. My inner cactus came out, and I stabbed you. <laughs> and I wielded it like a weapon. <laughs> Learning to say, I'm sorry I meant that, Jesus. I'm sorry I wanted to do that. I'm sorry I cared too much about what other people thought, and I did not care about you in that moment. I mean, these, these get very specific. And I'm, I'm telling you my personal confessions. Right? And much more could be said of what this looks like. For the disciples, sometimes it was just correcting their view of Jesus, of they're terrified and out in a boat. And they say, Jesus, don't you care about us? 
We're dying here. And Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. He's calling them to repent again. And I know this sounds depressing, and this is how we're going to end, but repentance always comes together. I had to focus on repentance. It always comes with an and. Can you go back to Mark 1, 15? It's repent and believe in the gospel. So you're, you're turning from looking at yourself and looking at Jesus. So if we're going to recap, the ordinary Christian walk is repent, believe, follow, repent, believe, follow. That's, that's your walk every day, uh, every week, as you're retelling yourself the truth of the, of the gospel story. And we're to be regular repenters who not only admit what's wrong with us, but we also at the same time turn and face the one we've harmed by looking at the cross. So not only should we be daily repenters, we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day, which we'll talk more about next week. So the gospel in Mark 1, 15, the clue that gets you there is from the wild animals. It's one of those really weird details because Mark is the only one who mentions that Jesus is chilling, chilling out there with the jackals and hyenas and who knows what else is out there. Poisonous snakes, scorpions. Why would he say that? And part of the reason is, if we had more time, we would read all of Isaiah 35. Uh, there are just pictures in the Old Testament of that when the Messiah comes, the perfect human, the one who's going to undo evil, he's going to make a path through life, through the wilderness, and God's going to keep them safe from harm, from, from wild animals, from lions, from venomous snakes. Right. Isaiah 35, here comes God. Look, don't be afraid. There's a highway in the desert, and no lion shall be there. No ravenous beast will be on that. You will be safe. This is a safe road to travel, following Jesus. And Why is it safe to follow Jesus and to own your sin? Because, yeah, Jesus was safe in the wilderness from the the wild animals, but he was not safe at the end of his life from the wild animals. Uh, Those who, in their sin, acted like wild animals. When we get hurt, our first instinct is to say, get away from me. This hurts. I can't deal with you right now. (laughs) So when Jesus dies on the cross and he's bearing the punishment for our sins... So we can have that full welcome we talked about. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting the Psalm 22, which describes what Jesus is going through in animal-like terms. An innocent man surrounded by a pack of wild dogs. Open mouths, roaring, screaming, ready to devour, like a lion. Except he's not going through that experience unharmed. He's being mocked. He's being spit on. He's being pushed away even by God himself. Not because he's deserved it, but because he is taking what we deserve. And the more you, you see how much you are loved, that he will be willing to suffer like that. Uh, the proclamation that repent, believe the gospel. I will accept you now as if you had never done anything wrong at all, as if you had always done the right thing. That's what gets me to follow him. (laughs) 
What gets me to repent every day is to tell myself the true story of the gospel is to see God himself becoming vulnerable on the cross, being wounded, being torn apart, so I can be healed, so you can be healed. It's seeing that God loved you while you were at your worst because he knew the animal nature that you have inside, that you have harmed others and him. Right. So there's a lot of ways it works practically, but here's how I want to end on a note of encouragement. For every look at your heart, take ten looks at Christ and his beauty and him bleeding for you. Because otherwise you're going to become neurotic and crazy trying to fix everything all at once. <laughs> right? Repent and believe in the gospel. They go together. Because repentance is much more about drawing yourself and asking the Holy Spirit to love the one who loved you first so that you might look like him, that you might live like him, that you might love God the Father the way God the Son loved him. And so work out in your own way, and this is the really practical part. When you get up on Monday, you wake up and say, God has accepted me not because I deserve it, but because Christ died for me. I'm not a servant. I'm a son. Sometimes repentance is going to say, I'm just terrified of what I have to do today, and God is my refuge. So you're telling yourself the truth about God. God, forgive me. Sometimes it's going to just be saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm just being a jerk right now. (laughs) Sometimes it's going to be waking up and saying, God, I just can't wait for the day when I don't have to do this anymore. But that's the same story. That an hour is coming when we shall find ourselves at last free from the claustrophobic closet of our own selfishness. And the last image I'll leave you with, (laughs) I love Isaiah 35, because on that highway, as you repent, as you believe, as you follow, it says, even fools cannot get lost on that road. They will not go astray, because the road is wide. It's freeing. And you'll sing with joy as you follow Jesus to the city where sorrow and sighing flee away. I mean, don't you want to be a part of that kind of community? (laughs) where everybody is repenting and honest and soft and and tender. It's not a perfect community at all. It's a messy community. But it forces everyone to, to depend by faith on the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. And when you do that, you'll be repenting and believing the gospel and in love, following the one who loved you first. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, you have called us by grace uh, to, to come into your kingdom. You have declared us to be what we are not, uh, perfect in Christ. And so I pray if there are any here who have never taken that first step to repent and believe the gospel, to know that you, God, have forgiven absolutely everything, and because of Christ you are not mad at us, I pray your spirit would move and help them experience that welcome that Jesus described in the the story of the prodigal son. And for those of us who have been following, Lord, restore unto us the joy of our salvation, that you really do forgive what happened in this last week. So make us a repenting community that believes the gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.